It is now time for Diary of a Wrestling Fan with Bill Chase. And here he is, your host, the man who is the inspiration behind every single love song Avril Lavigne has ever written, Bill Chase. Thank you, thank you, Mr. Podcast Announcer. I am Bill Chase. This is Diary of a Wrestling Fan chronicling the amazing 33 years I have spent being a wrestling fan. Oh, I am excited about this experience. Now, let me tell you a little bit about myself. My name is Bill Chase. I'm born and raised in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Still live there to this very day. I am 37 years old. I started watching wrestling around the age of four. Got really obsessed with it when I was about eight. And I've recently been a part of the Ontario independent wrestling scene for the last seven years. I have been... A promoter. I currently actually run a company in Burlington called Pro Wrestling Ontario with two business partners. Also, I have been a booker. I have even refereed on a couple of occasions. Uh, but primarily, I have ring announced. I have done commentary, uh, backstage interviews, and uh, I've even been an evil little jerk working for the Ontario Athletic Commission. And I've even been in the ring a few times. I uh, don't really want to say I wrestle per se, but uh, be that as it may. Uh, I've had a great experience with as a wrestling fan and as a part of the Ontario Indie scene. And actually, the purpose of this podcast, I'll talk, I'll talk a bit about that too. The purpose of this podcast is to see things through the eyes of a fan. Now, the inspiration I got for this was because of everything happening with the Drake Maverick story lately. Now, granted, I understand why some of the other wrestlers who have been released might not be comfortable with this, or might just outright hate it. I, I, I get that. But what I was zeroing in on here is the fans' reaction. It seemed as though a lot of fans just resented being worked. See, even, even saying that out loud, it just makes very little sense to me. Some fans even posted saying, how dare WWE play with our emotions this way? How dare Drake Maverick play with our emotions this way? What?! To me, wrestling fandom has always been built on emotion. Having emotion as a wrestling fan is why I am so passionate about it to this very day. So, that is the purpose of this podcast. Again, to reminisce about things as a fan, how I saw it as a fan at that time, or that given moment. Now, granted, there's some things I'll be looking back in hindsight, obviously. But, generally, this is through the eyes of a wrestling fan. And the first episode today will be about the first time I ever attended a WWF Superstars taping. First and only time, actually. The date was June 1st, 1992, here in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. I was nine years old. Now I'm going to talk about all the things that led up to it, and the stories behind it, the show itself, obviously, and even a bit of the fallout. So, buckle up your seatbelts, folks, and take the journey of a fan. And before we take this wild ride, shout out to our sponsor, Pro Wrestling Ontario. Tried and true, bell-to-bell competition in that ring with every given match. Pro Wrestling Ontario provides it. Look us up on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Also check out our YouTube channel. We have complete shows, matches, promos. We even have episodes of Foundation, which chronicles all the backstage chaos and happenings in Pro Wrestling Ontario. Well, folks, in 1992, in the spring of 1992, I was nine years old. 
Now, at this point, I was completely obsessed with professional wrestling as a fan. I had tons of other interests, obviously. I loved a lot of sports, which I still do to this day. I love TV. I love movies. Pretty much the guy that, those of you who know me that are listening to this, pretty much the guy you know now is who I started becoming even back then. I studied statistics. I liked watching old wrestling tapes. Anything that was wrestling-related at Jumbo Video at that time, I would rent it. I remember renting, I think it was a, it was a uh, Best of AWA D, er, DVD, sorry, Best of AWA VHS from Jumbo Video. Now, I used to just love going to Jumbo Video for two reasons, renting movies and popcorn, <laughs> free popcorn. Now, I liked anything wrestling related at this point, but before that, my wrestling fandom was a little more casual before around 1991, before I turned eight years old. It was more casual. I had certain guys I liked, but certain guys I just didn't care about. Um, I had actually been to a couple shows before this one that I would go to, but I didn't truly appreciate it. I just wanted to see Hogan back then, you know what I mean? I just wanted, where's Hulk? You know, that, that was my whole thing. Or where's, actually, I love the Heart Foundation. Where's Brett? Where's the Anvil? You know, where are the Rockers? You know, I had the certain guys I liked, but then there's just certain guys I didn't care about. Now, the scene is the spring of 1992 in Hamilton. It was, I remember, it was really, really nice spring weather that year, and... It was on a Saturday night, or no, sorry, Saturday afternoon, that um, myself, my father, uh, my uncle Roy, and his son Mike, who was almost four at the time, we attended a Hamilton Skyhawks game at Cops Coliseum. Now, there's a reference I'm making for some Hamiltonians that might bring back some nostalgia, both good and bad. Uh, the Hamilton Skyhawks were a, a minor league uh, type basketball team. Uh, located here in Hamilton. They didn't last too long. I think maybe a couple seasons, if that. And we went to one of their games. They were playing, remember, the Erie Waves was uh, the name of uh, their opponents. And it was a close game, I remember, until about the end, and then the Waves just ran away with it, and we had, we had lost. And I remember because before this game, uh, that afternoon, I had watched WWF Superstars on at noon on our local uh, Fox channel. And I remember Billy Red Lions, week after week, hyping up the show coming to Hamilton. As soon as I found out the Ultimate Warrior was going to face Papa Shango, I was excited. I, I thought to myself, I had to get to this show. I had to be there. Like I had to see this match. Because, yes, okay, in hindsight, granted, say what you will about the angle, but for a nine-year-old kid who loved the Ultimate Warrior, who marked out completely when he came back at WrestleMania 8 that year, I wanted to see this match. But if that wasn't enough, then I find out The Undertaker is taking on The Berserker. Yes, even I was excited about that match. I was excited about The Undertaker getting revenge on the guy who tried to stab him with a sword, with a Viking sword in the middle of the ring, on an episode of Superstars. Now, I loved all the wrestling on Superstars, loved the interviews, loved everything, but I looked forward to Billy Red hyping the local shows. And this is where he became one of my idols. I, Okay, here's the thing with me. Back then, my cousins and I would... We'd play sports, and we'd actually stage our own wrestling shows. We'd actually put on our own shows in the backyard. We'd include the interviews, everything that was part of a wrestling show back then. We were just very creative with it. And during these, like, say where they would be playing football. Now, I'd be playing if they needed someone that they were shorthanded, but I was never very good at sports, 
still still not still not. Uh, I plan they needed an extra guy, but usually I like being the commentator or the referee or something. That's what I enjoyed doing. For some reason, those roles just seemed a lot more enticing to me. And I remember when we would do our own wrestling shows in the backyard. I would actually do a segment to make I make sure I do a segment where I I would play Billy Red Lions, hyping up local shows. I would say places like you know Toronto and Maple Leaf Gardens and Sunday Matinee, uh, Newmarket next Thursday or uh, the Sud- Sudbury, you know Ric Flair versus the Macho Man for the WWF Championship. Like I would say these things. I loved watching Billy Red because it got not only got me excited for shows coming to my area, but it also got me you know just his his voice and the way he presented it just got me hyped. So. Here's the thing with me. I would ask my parents for things, but I would be careful. I don't, I don't know why. And here's the reason. It's not because they would say no necessarily. I actually was very blessed that they'd say yes quite often when I was younger. But I guess even back then, I felt that I was, I, I, I'd been given a lot. I didn't want to push my luck. That, that might have been what it was. I just basically didn't want to push my luck. But I would do the thing where I'd want to drop subtle hints. I would never outright ask my parents for tickets to a wrestling show during the hype up for this show. At that same afternoon, where I saw the episode of Superstars, we're on our way to the basketball game. I said, hey, Dad, did you know the Ultimate Warrior and Papa Shango are fighting at Cops Coliseum soon? And my dad would just kind of brush out, like, oh, yeah, that's, that, that's pretty good. My dad was a wrestling fan, too, at this time. My mom never really liked wrestling. She had a couple of her favorites here and there, but it was never really into it. Um, yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, dang. Like I was hoping him that they could take the hook, like almost. Like, come on. Like, say he'll get me tickets. Like, that's how I felt as a kid. And I would say, oh, there's going to be over 20 matches. That was the other big hype. Now, I had no idea back then Superstars was taped. I didn't realize that a month's worth of shows were taped for Superstars and Wrestling Challenge. Um... Every so often. I, did, I never realized that. So, I just think this is going to be this is like a, a great show of 20 matches, you know what I mean? So I was hyped for those two matches, believe it or not. And then I see that, again, Macho Man taking on Shawn Michaels. I, that match I, has never happened, as far as I knew. That match had never happened. Bret Hart defending the Intercontinental title against Rick Martel. You know, a Money Incorporated. Uh, defending their tag titles against the Natural Disasters. Ever since WrestleMania 8, I want to see the Disasters get their hands on the title. I was excited for this show, but I didn't know if I was going then to top it off. 40-man battle royal! I had to be here. I had to be at this show. I'm dropping hints to my dad that whole afternoon while we're getting ready to go to the game. So, after the game, uh, the cops because it was an afternoon game, the cops call CM box office was still open. So, um, my dad was getting tickets for stuff. I was hoping. I was crossing my fingers it was wrestling. And then he told me it was another Skyhawks game. Because I did have a good time. Like, I enjoyed watching basketball. But I was a little disappointed, obviously. I, I hit it, though. And, you know, I was still happy I was going to another basketball game. And I wanted to see wrestling. So... <laughs> Uh, so after the game, we went back to uh, my uncle's place. Uh, just spent the uh, evening there. I remember because okay, so my uncle lived in a townhouse complex here in Hamilton. Now, for, again, Hamilton fans know what I'm talking about. 
it's just going up the Kenilworth access where there's a townhouse before you go up the townhouse complex before you go up the hill on Kimberly Drive. It was 33 Kimberly Drive, I believe. And my uncle lived there with his family, um, and my uncle being my dad's brother, and my aunt, my dad's sister, my aunt Teresa, lived just across the street, like on a diagonal kind of. And it was great being there because I could see everyone at once, almost all my cousins. Well, most of my cousins at once. I could, uh, the, in my Aunt Teresa's backyard area, there was a little park there and a lot of room to play around, play some sports. But uh, in my Uncle Roy's backyard, there was, uh, beyond there, there was the back 40s. Just a huge, huge ground, like empty ground of grass where just you can do anything. It was amazing. So going to that area was always a fun time. So I spent the rest of the day there. Um, and I remember my Aunt Teresa's kids came over, and we just had a lot of fun just doing what we do. We just, just doing kid stuff. We used to do stuff where we try to spy on our parents and try to listen to what they're talking about. We'd actually make it look like we're like covert spies trying to get information. It was We just made the most of it. So, that night we're heading home. My dad and I are heading back home uh, to our house on 65 Clyde Street here in Hamilton uh, between... Uh, it's uh, near Wentworth between Cannon and Barton we lived. And um, my dad says to me, because the tickets, I guess, were in his uh, visor. And he said, well, why don't you see who they're playing? Why don't you see who the Skyhawks are playing? And so I took the tickets down, and lo and behold, I think my jaw dropped. I had the smile from ear to ear when it said, WWF, June 1st, 1992. And I'm like, these are wrestling tickets, I shouted out. And I was like, what? No, that's a mistake. Like, he's kidding, right? And, <laughs> but I could not be more excited. Now, at this point, the show was still several weeks away. This was in the, uh, late April, early May. It wasn't long after uh, WrestleMania 8. So I'm just, I'm in just such deep anticipation for this. Now, granted, like I said, I've been to shows before, but never truly, you know, appreciated them until now. So I'm just... I'm just biding my time. And um, in school, I was friends with a lot of wrestling fans. Was, um, mainly my friend Sandra, and she was just she was just a wonderful young lady. <laughs> she really was. But she loved wrestling too. And uh, this guy Jason, who wasn't in my class, was in my grade. And a few others, like a bunch of others. Uh, there was again my friends Chad, Ricky, we like we all. Chad and Ricky were more frenemies. They bullied me, and then one day they'd be my friends the next. It was a weird thing. But, uh, yeah, so, but now Sandra and Jason were actually my friends. But, um, as the show drew closer, I'm getting more excited. I'm almost talking to, like, Sandra about it, because I think I sat near her in class, like, almost every day. And, uh, she was saying how, how awesome it is I can see the, uh, Ultimate Warrior finally get his hands on Papa Shango, after Shango had made him vomit on television, after he made goo run down <laughs> Warrior's face. Y yes, this stuff actually happened, folks. But, uh... <laughs> So, I'm looking forward to everything. I remember the day of the show. It finally came. Again, June 1st, 1992. Now, this was a Monday. And for some reason, we had a PDA on Tuesday. I can't remember why. It was rare back then to have a PDA in midweek. But still, either way, I didn't care. That, mean, that meant I could be out late, and it meant, you know, I could enjoy this show without having to worry about school the next day. I remember I woke up that morning smiling from ear to ear because I knew what today was. I knew 
that today I was going to see the WWF. I was going to see all my favorite guys. The guys that had listened to Billy Red Lions hype up for weeks. I was finally going to see them. So then, I get to school and I just can't wait to get out. Now, granted, in, in grade three, I had a really good teacher. Her name is Mrs. Rajenko. And I had some friends in the class. I was picked on a lot, too. But, it, I mean, stuff bothered me, but not to the point where, you know, I dreaded going to school. I still had a lot of friends I looked forward to seeing every day. So, again, I, I can't shut up about this show. I think she, my teacher had to tell me to, you know, stop talking every so often because I was just so excited about it. Because Sandra and I kept talking about it. And I got her in trouble a couple times, I think, too. But, <laughs> so, as the day is drawing to a close... I remember a recess, afternoon recess, uh, talking to Jason, because that's whenever I'd see him, and we would just talk about the show. He was going, too. He was actually, he had gotten last-minute tickets, and we were both excited, and I was actually still, I remember the last thing I said to him, looking forward to the natural disasters taking the titles off Money, Inc. There's no way they'll beat them this time. No way Money, Inc. will run away with the titles this time. And we were all just, again, psyched about it, and then that 40-man battle royal. So I get home, I get ready, and I'm, I'm just ra- raring to go. My dad had just pretty much gotten back from work, and he's just like, settle down, we still got some time. I didn't start till a little later. So we leave the house. Now, here's an embarrassing thing. I, I'm carrying the tickets in like this little like paper sleeve thing where they'd have advertisements on it. I'm sure a lot of people know what I'm talking about. And they fell out of the sleeve as we're leaving through the hallway of the duplex. Now, my dad noticed, thankfully, because I was walking in front of him, and he says, this could have been embarrassing. Now, granted, we didn't live that far from cops, so we could have gone back and got them. But then again, we probably would have wondered where we dropped them in the first place. But it wouldn't have been far because we drove in the van. So I get we get there. And again, there's tons of fans already outside wearing all these shirts. So I'm thinking, i got to get a wrestling shirt. I have to get a shirt. And my dad already agreed. He said, yes, you can get a shirt. And you can get something else as well if you want. So, as we walk in there, and I'm just, again, I'm feeling the excitement come over me. And we get in there, and I see all the merchandise. Like, what do I choose? Do I get an Undertaker shirt? Do I get a Macho Man bandana? They had, like, green Macho Man bandanas. Do I get a Bret Hart poster? Like, what do I get? Then I saw, right in front of me, Ultimate Warrior t-shirt. It was a... It was a drawing of the warrior's face in like a square frame and it said ultimate above it and the warrior below. I still have the shirt somewhere. It was a pretty basic shirt in the grand scheme of things, but who cares? It was an ultimate warrior shirt. And so my dad agreed to get me that. And I wanted some of Bret Hart as well because I love Bret Hart. And I think rather than get the poster, right, but right near his poster, I saw the foam title belts, the toy title belts. They had the Intercontinental one, and I always loved that Intercontinental design, even as a kid. And I said to my dad, can I get the Intercontinental title? At first he was confused what I was saying, I remember. He's like, what? And I pointed to it, and he he grabbed that for me as well. I remember my dad, he was wearing his Legion of Doom t-shirt, and they they were at this show as well. So, we walk into towards where our seats are, and again, big smile on my face when I see the ring. The lights, and I look up and I see the WWF Superstars banners that I'd seen on TV for so long. And I'm thinking, oh wow, we're going to be on TV. But then I looked to my dad and said, I thought Superstars was only on Saturdays. And my dad just kind of laughed and said, those shows are usually taped. They're not live. 
I'm like, oh. So I think we're just going to get like one episode of Superstars here with some other matches. So I, I was a little confused. I was thinking to myself, why are these like marquee matches, all these like big marquee matches taking place on an episode of Superstars? I had no idea this was a taping. I'm like, wait, 20 matches. But again, I, again, I was trying to figure it out all in my head. Why is this happening? Then I, then I saw off in the distance a primetime wrestling Flag. Now, I've seen the primetime wrestling flag before because uh, I would see some some of their matches on the um, the recap shows that they would air on CHCH TV, Maple Leaf Wrestling. They would air some primetime wrestling uh, stuff. So that looked familiar too, and I'm thinking, what's going on here? Like, are they doing all the shows at once? I was actually looking for the wrestling challenge flag after that, <laughs> which was called Cavalcade here in uh, in Canada. So I'm thinking, so okay, well, whatever. Like, this is. Gonna be interesting, but I didn't care. Like after a while, like it was confusing for me, but I just didn't care. After a little while, I just want to see some wrestling. And I remember distinctly fans yelling "ho!" Like in Hacksaw Jim Duggan, and a couple of people going. Yeah, even back then, the "woo" with Ric Flair. Even though Ric Flair actually wasn't at this show, surprisingly, even though he was doing the loop with Macho Man at that point. So, yeah, he was not at this show. So. It's building, it's building, and I see, we see Bill Kelly from CHML Radio, big radio media personality here in Hamilton, and uh, also the PA announcer for the Hamilton Tiger Cats football team. And he's kind of the master of ceremonies, he kind of got us hyped for the show. And then Howard Finkel came out, and I remember Howard getting a pretty good reaction, even back then. And Howard had announced that there was one change made to the card, that the natural disasters weren't there. And I'm just going, kind of like, aww. And they're being replaced by high energy. Yeah, that was terrible, I know. Um, the high energy, of course, a lot of you remember, uh, at least the nostalgic fans will, the, uh, that was a team of Coco Beware and Owen Hart. Yes, and uh, all I did was just kind of like, okay, I was never a huge high energy fan. I liked Owen and I liked Coco, but I liked them separately. It was a weird thing. I just never liked them as a tag team for whatever reason. But um, I liked Owen when he was with the Anvil. Or when he was doing a few singles matches here and there. I don't, I don't know. It was a weird thing. But like, I just, never liked, I just never liked High Energy as a tag team, even as a kid. So, I'm thinking, they're not going to win. I even thought, like, even at nine years old, I'm like, oh, they're not going to win. They're not going to beat Money Incorporated. Money Incorporated will cheat to beat them. Then my dad looks at me and he's like, "High energy." He did, he barely even knew who they were. I'm like, "That's Owen Hart and Coco Beware," and he he just groaned. <laughs> I just remember he just groaned, and I think he said, "Why would they just have them fight the Legion of Doom?" <laughs> Good point. <laughs> so the show got underway, and I remember the first match. Okay, we see uh, Jim Brunzel in the ring. Now, I've only seen Jim Brunzel. I've seen Jim Brunzel as part of the Killer Bees on VHS as I ran in, but in recent years, I'd seen him as a guy who loses every week. So then Cato comes out. Cato, one half of the Orient Express, but at this point, the Orient Express have been shot down the card. But even so, I've seen the Orient Express win some, you know, some matches here and there on like Superstars and Challenge. So Cato comes out, and I'm thinking, oh, great, now Cato's going to win. So I watched the match. I remember it being fairly competitive. I was a little surprised. It went on for a little while, at least six minutes or so, five, six minutes, I remember. 
And to our surprise, Jim runs all one. And I looked at my dad, I'm like, he never wins. And I'm cheering, right? <laughs> he never wins. <laughs> so, yeah. That was the first match of the show. And I'm not, I'm not going to go through everything match by match. It's a TV taping that would take forever. But uh, just the highlights now. So I'm just going to kind of set the tone here before the show really got underway. So the second match was another, uh, I guess you could say dark match, if you will. It was this guy, they called him Razor Ramon. Yes, I had actually seen one of Scott Hall's first matches as Razor Ramon in the WWF. Now, <laughs> granted, I, I knew he looked familiar. And I looked over at my dad, and I'm like, I think he's in WCW. Because I was really getting into WCW at this point as well. And I, I think he's in WCW. I kept saying over and over. And I'm like, that that's the diamond stud. Now, at this time, Hall had not really had the full garb, if you will, the full gimmicks that Razor Ramon would have. He didn't have the gold. He didn't have the, you know, the, the uh, vest jacket with his name on the back. Didn't have the, the trunks that he would wear. He, he wasn't fully Razor Ramon. He was only Razor Ramon in name, pretty much. Didn't have the toothpick, nothing. And then he fought Jim Powers. Now, again, Jim Powers was a guy I saw lose on TV every week as well. I think, well, if Brunzel won, <laughs> maybe Jim Powers might win, too. <laughs> because, I, again, I remember seeing Jim Powers as a part of the Young Stallions. Now, what what I remember about this match, though, is that the crowd kind of died here. They were kind of alive for the Brunzel-Cato match, surprisingly. But remember that some people were chanting boring. I was just watching the match, whatever. And, of course, Razor won. And... And yeah, I remember the crowd was pretty much down at this point, so I'm thinking, okay, well, that match wasn't the most exciting, even in my head, I'm thinking that at the time, and I'm like, what's next, I wonder? And then, um, there's actually, an, and again, another enhancement talent comes to the ring, and I remember even at that point, my dad says, what's with these wrestling dummies all here tonight? And I thought to me, this night's going to be full of this, he's kind of thinking I'm probably in... Yeah, so there's one way in the ring, and then the Texas Tornado music, Kerry Von Erich's music hit, and the crowd wakes up. Like, they really wake up at his presence. So, again, I'm really, again, I popped out of my seat. Like, I'm like, yeah, it's a Texas Tornado. Like, again, I was just excited to see almost everyone. So, right after that match, it is uh, Nails. Nails comes up for uh, a match. I guess an enhancement talent. And it was just that weekend that the uh, Big Boss Man angle had aired, where he had attacked him and brutally beaten him up. And right away, of course, stating the ob I mean, Captain Obvious, even at that age, that's the guy that beat up Boss Man! <laughs> I'm all upset, right? Boo! <laughs> and we didn't even know his name. And we, uh, I couldn't make out what Howard Finkel had said at first, but then I think Nails came out to wrestle a second time that night, and we, were, we found it was Nails, because my dad had caught it. And the heat on him. Okay, so here's something, one of those hindsight things. I was reading um, an old Wrestling Observer report from this time that actually covered this taping. And they said, Nails had absolutely no heat. Bullshit. Nails had a lot of heat on him for both matches. For both of his uh, squash matches that he came out for. The crowd did not did not like this guy. He, again, the, 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 the segment with Bossman had just aired. 
So people were pissed. Bossman was a well-loved character. I think he, along with Ric Flair, were like pretty much the only ones not there for this uh, for this taping. So anyway, so the way they did this show was that they, of course, were doing the squash matches all night, and in between they would have the uh, competitive matches, if you will, the marquee matches of the card, um, like just kind of spliced throughout the card. Now, even I knew back then the 40-man battle royal was not going to be till the end. I just had a feeling. And, again, this being a superstars thing. See the superstars likes. I'm actually looking down uh, down on floor level for where Vince McMahon and Mr. Perfect might be sitting. Because they were hosting the shows at the time. Obviously, I couldn't find them. But, uh, no, they had a stage and Mean Gene did some interviews there. It was some good stuff. I love Mean Gene. I actually cheered for Mean Gene. I remember he interviewed Kamala. Uh, Repo Man, who stole some kid's tricycle. The interview, though, that stands out, and it never aired. Here's a little treat for you all. It never aired. It, this was actually the the segment that was supposed to debut Rocco, the Legion of Doom's, uh, ven, you know, the ventriloquist dummy. Except they didn't call him Rocco. They called him Freckles. And I do remember the crowd booed this out of the building so much that it actually killed Legion of Doom's reaction later for their match that night. Yeah, it was it was bad. But anyway, I was like, like I said, I was just having a grand old time though. Again, the Undertaker, remember, got an insane reaction. Uh, he he did a squash match where the Berserker actually came out and attacked them, almost setting up their match for later on. But I'm thinking to myself in my head, well, are they like fighting like two or three times? Then I noticed as the night went on, they were, they all were fighting two, three times a night. In the same night, and then I think the first uh, the first of those competitive matches that uh, that they uh, had filmed. This actually, this actually ended up being filmed for I think both primetime wrestling and a Coliseum video release. It was Bret Hart and Rick Martel for the Intercontinental Title. Bret being the champion. Now Bret had already gotten a huge reaction for his um, again for a squash match earlier that night, but he got another one. And this was actually the the angle that set up the feud between Rick Martel and Shawn, and uh, Shawn Michaels. Their little feud that led up into SummerSlam that year. And Sean interfered, cost Martel the match. I remember just being so behind Brett in this match. And after it ended, Brett celebrated. Now, again, it could be just wishful thinking on my part, but I was in the crowd. I was high up, but not high up to the point where nobody could, like, wrestlers. I just had a good view of the wrestlers, and they probably could have had a good view of me if they spotted me. Now, I should also point out that the crowd for this show, kind of disappointing. Like, I actually was a little shocked that there were a lot of empty seats. Because in my eyes, WWF filled every arena. Little did I know how bad business was at the time, obviously. So I remember I, I held up my foam toy intercontinental title. Again, the straps were made of foam and the, you know, the plates were made of plastic. And I held it up and Brett's hoisting up his real intercontinental title and he points. I swear it was to me. I swear it was to me. He points up, gives me a nod and my dad's like, I think he saw you. I think, I think he was pointing to you. And I, to me, that was huge. I, I almost couldn't speak. Like, well, Bret Hart just acknowledged me. Like, unbelievable. So then I remember The Undertaker and The Berserker happening. Uh, the Undertaker won that match, cleanly. Uh, again, I just wanted to see him get his hands on him. And I, I actually cheered loud when The Undertaker uh, tombstone Mr. Fuji, the Berserker's evil manager at the end of the match. And that actually got a big reaction, I recall. Uh, money Inc. and High Energy was pretty much how we expected, but uh, actually, 
High Energy was counted out, from what I recall. They were counted out, and they're just like, well, whatever. We we knew Money Inc. wasn't losing the tag titles that night. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so then there was the, uh, the the Macho Man and Shawn Michaels. Macho Man, of course, being the champion at the time. I Again, the, the reaction for Macho Man, I think, was the biggest of the night, to be perfectly honest. It was ungodly. As soon as he hit the curtain... In that just outrageous, those outrageous outfits, one of those outrageous outfits he always wears. Because as far as I knew, this is the first time these two fought. And I hated Shawn Michaels ever since what he did to Marty Jannetty. I outright hated him. So I couldn't wait to see Macho Man just tear him apart. And I remember just losing it whenever Sherry, when uh, Sensational Sherry would interfere on behalf of Michaels. And I'm losing it. She's cheating! She's cheating! I'm yelling out. And I think my dad was actually starting to look at me cross-eyed a bit there, too. My dad was getting bored at this point. Like, he was actually into the uh, the competitive matches, but he, again, he's like, oh, so too many wrestling dummy matches. He called he called the enhancement guys wrestling dummies. That was his name for them. So, as the night went on, more squashes, and then it was the Ultimate Warrior and Papa Shango. And again, the crowd was solidly behind Warrior. Warrior got a great reaction, obviously. I was going out from holding out my shirt, like, frantically, like, almost shaking the shirt like he was shaking the ropes. Warrior won that match by uh, disqualification because the Berserker came out. I'm like, this is weird. And then, of course, there was a small Undertaker chant, and then, of course, the Undertaker comes out. That was to set up a tag team. I, I would find it, obviously, a little while later. It was to set up a tag team uh, loop for them. Uh, it was Taker and Warrior versus Berserker and uh, Shango. So and that's what set that up. But yeah, and then they did, I think, a few more squashes. Then the 40-man battle roll. Now, at this point, my dad just wants to get out of there. I can tell. He just wants to leave the the arena. Like, he is just exhausted and tired from just watching all of these, quote, wrestling dummy matches in the 40-man battle royal. That happened. Now, it was mixed with the, the quote, wrestling dummies, as well as the guys who were on the card that night, the, the top talent. And the funny thing is that, again, my dad rolled his eyes. Like, oh, man. They couldn't fill this match with, like, less wrestling dummies? Like, <laughs> mind you, they, most of them were eliminated pretty quick. So, I was right into the Battle Royal. I've never seen that many men in a Battle Royal at once at all. Again, I was, this was, we're pushing, like, almost 11, like, 10, 30, 11 o'clock here. And I'm still going, that's just way past my bedtime. I'm still just going crazy, going crazy. So, towards the end, it actually came down to the Beverly Brothers, who, uh, again, I couldn't stand, obviously, and um, the British Bulldog, who I loved. Now, the key part in this match, and again, I didn't notice it until much later, that the Bulldog had eliminated Bret Hart. Now, keep in mind, this is around the time where they're going to start to build for SummerSlam. And, of course, that was the year of their infamous match at Wembley Stadium. Bret Hart, the reaction Bret Hart had after being thrown out, he's, like, pointing at Bulldog, like, even my dad said, ooh, something's happening there. And I was intrigued by that, too. And, of course, I wouldn't learn until much later. I'm th- I was thinking nothing other, like, ah, oh, whatever, like, you know. It's it, every man for himself, <laughs> kind of like the Royal Rumble was, every man for himself, is what I said back. So I didn't think much of it until they announced the SummerSlam match a little while later on television, not long after this. So 
Um, again, Bulldog overcame the Beverly Brothers, and as soon as the Bulldog won, my dad's like, okay, let's go. He was ready just to get out. I don't think he enjoyed this show much at all. Because I think in his head, he probably never believed that, again, him being a lot older, like he was, you know, in his 30s at that point, he probably didn't believe for one second that Shawn Michaels was going to take the title off the Macho Man, you know, stuff like that. Uh, so yeah, he became pretty jaded at that point, but at the same time, he still watched for another few years after that, on and off. But I had a blast. This, again, I in my head, I just literally seen everyone. Everyone. In the WWF, again, outside of Flair and Bossman and whatnot, but still. This was exciting for me. I couldn't wait to see my cousins, to tell them about this show. I couldn't wait to just go nuts about it. Because that night, since I had a PD day the next day, and um, my parents both had to work. So, I had to go to my Aunt Teresa's that night. So my dad dropped me off there. And of course, I, I, by the time I got to my Aunt Teresa's, I was, it had hit me. It had hit me. I was, I was tired at that point by the time I got there. So went out to uh, one of my cousin's rooms, again, passed out one of the beds. I was actually out pretty quick. I was actually, and this is going to sound so bad, I was clutching my new little Intercontinental title. Then I remember waking up the next morning, and my cousin's like, all looking at the Intercontinental title, like, wow, like, look at that. My cousin's, uh, you know, Jamie, Wayne, Corey, and Zach was just a baby at that point, so, but yeah. They were, like, looking at it and on, and we were... What we would do is we spent the whole day in, a, in the backyard. It's a really nice day, a really nice June day, warm summer day. And we would have matches for the, like, you know, play matches for the title, stuff like that. It was it was awesome. You know, we reenact as Bret Hart. And we'd actually, okay, so I knew the brief, a brief history of the Intercontinental title. I didn't know going back to Pat Patterson at that time, but I knew it going all the way back to Tito Santana's uh, first reign. So we kind of did like a history of the Intercontinental title game where we would like show the, the where it changed hands. It was so much fun. And we went right out to when Roddy Piper lost at the Bret Hart at WrestleMania 8. And that was what we spent most of our day doing. It was, again, just being fans. It was just so much fun. But I'll never forget that experience. And I, even so, I couldn't wait to get to school on the, on the Wednesday. My dad picked me up later that night after he was, you know, he was done work and whatnot. And... We went back to my place again. I'm telling my mom I hadn't seen my mom in a while, so I was telling her about it. Like she feigned that she cared. I know she really didn't, obviously, but uh, you know, at least she was happy for me that I had a good time. And that's you know, at least that, that's what matters. And again, even school. Like even though sometimes I didn't like going to school, I couldn't wait to go to school and tell my friends. I actually brought my Intercontinental title for show and tell. I actually brought it for show and tell, and some of my friends and frenemies tried to steal it. On uh, recess, and I would almost cry when they did, and they would obviously give it back because I threatened to tell a teacher. You know, I never really did tell teachers that even back then, but still, just hearing that, knowing that a lot of them always get in trouble all the time, they probably didn't want to risk that. So, they didn't call my bluff. So, that's what's important, but yes. So, there you have it, folks. That was uh, my first TV taping. Now, I would later realize that. Because I asked my dad later, I'm like, they have the superstars flags up. And I guess my dad didn't really know either. He's like, well, I guess they they filmed the shows 
an advanced and air them every Saturday. And then I finally kind of understood it. After that, I pretty much understood the concept of TV tapings and finally understood why they're in the same town for about four, four, four weeks or so. So, yeah. Um, then I remember watching it on television. I was trying to spot myself on TV for those next few weeks. <laughs> I couldn't find myself, obviously. Because we were sitting on the side where uh, the camera the camera was actually uh, filming from. So, at least I believe so, anyway. From what I, yeah, actually it was. Because the way I remember watching it on TV, that's how we were facing the aisleway, and that's where the camera was facing it. So... Yes, it was a great experience. One of many great experiences I had as a fan. I hope you enjoyed this debut episode. It's a little rusty, I know. Believe me, I'm trying just working out the kinks, trying to play with the format a bit here and there. But next, uh, next episode, we'll chronicle. We're gonna fast forward quite a bit. We're gonna go to all the way to 2001, King of the Ring, 2001. At this point, the invasion is getting underway. The main event, of course, Stone Cold Steve Austin defending against Chris Benoit and Chris Jericho. So, I hope to see you all then. Well, who am I kidding? I can't see you anyway. <laughs> oh, but I hope you listen then. There you go. Yeah, 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 one day. So once again, this is your friend and mine, Bill Chase, saying, Don't you dare miss it. Thank you for listening to Diary of a Wrestling Fan with Bill Chase. If you want to contribute to the show, just send Bill some freaking cash. He's not going to beg for your money through Patreon and make it look like that he's doing you a favor.